0: Welcome to the first episode of G Germany Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Harmstone, and joining me as always is a Canadian who would never dare describe Gian as his associate, Logan Saunders.
1: Good afternoon.
0: Good afternoon. I did actually swap that out at the last second, there was going to be um, another one about Long Island iced teas, but I think Sven is definitely going to be the one I have to channel this season for your intros. He made me howl in this episode. (laughs) I said when the cast was announced last week that I was getting slight Bart vibes from from Sven, and he really lived up to uh, to the promise that I had for him.
1: Yeah, I don't think he earned any money this week.
0: I don't think he earned any friends this week, but he was definitely, he was definitely one of my favourite characters, I think, of the episode.
1: I now pronounce you associate and wife.
0: <laughs> and we are back for what usually ends up being our highlight of the year. It's our... Now sixth season of Belgium Mole, technically, because this time last year I would have been like, "Yay, it's our third one!" And yeah, we've been quite busy over the past year, thanks to the uh, thanks to the pandemic. It's the one benefit of it.
1: Yeah, we did. We, we've done both Argentina and South Africa podcasting about it during the pandemic think when the pandemic ends, both Michael and I will be booking tickets to go on vacation somewhere, Pro- probably the day after we're both fully vaccinated. If I'm not allowed back into the Philippines, my guess is, oh man, probably I'm working on like August or September to be going somewhere, so I've, I've been eyeing up Sri Lanka, believe it or not.
0: <laughs> and I'm, as you well know, looking at being away in September as well. 'Cause I'm looking at coming to your glorious country again.
1: Alright, oh, you're planning on coming here.
0: I am. Just not your side of it.
1: Yeah, the other the east side. There's a lot of variables that are gonna go on with how the all the different countries are gonna be accepting travelers once this thing starts winding down.
0: And there is a small bit of irony in us saying this because in in the before times, before we even knew that coronavirus was gonna be a thing. Logan and I were actually talking last year about after the Greece finale we maybe go away somewhere together just for uh, just for a few days and where were we looking at Logan can you remember
1: we were looking at Greece and we were also looking at Germany <laughs> yes yes actually we were yeah we were going to go visit Germany after the the mole finale uh, in in Antwerp <laughs> We're going to go from there and find the nearest German city to go visit, because I've never been to Germany before.
0: Yeah, and the irony is, of course, we were looking at Greece, and then Greece, obviously, we didn't even get to go to the Finale for. And we were looking at Germany, and we're definitely not going to get to go to the Finale for it this year either.
1: Yeah. No one predicted that the pandemic w- is lasting as long as it has.
0: No, sadly not. It's actually... Um... This week is one year since the UK went into lockdown, as you well know, because it was six hours before my birthday. And at the time, they were actually saying that it was going to be a lockdown for a couple of weeks. We've now been in lockdown, at least in in my area of the UK, for 10 of the last 12 months.
1: Yeah, and here it looks like, I know in Ontario and Quebec, Quebec got really, really strict again just in the past week. Ontario is probably about to get really really strict because they're in the midst of a third wave, but they're, but they're hesitant to shut things down again. And then BC, we don't know what the hell is going on here. So one year later, and they're saying this is our third wave of this, which is not fun.
0: I promise we will limit the the pandemic talk.
1: Yeah, we'll limit it. Yeah.
0: It's the same rules as when we were doing, uh, doing Renaissance and when we were doing the, uh, the Historians podcast last year. We're just going to get all out the way now and then probably never mention it again with a bit of luck. Yeah. At least until I get my vaccine text and I go, oh my god, I'm getting a vaccine.
1: And un- unfortunately, one of the countries that's synonymous with COVID is, of course, Belgium and... I'm going to guess I don't think there's too many people from Belgium who listen to this podcast since they have more Flemish alternatives. <laughs> and, yeah, I'm glad that at least they'll they'll have their own version of the mold to watch to get by the next 10 weeks. And they were lucky to even be able to film this season in the first place because they said this was filmed just before the second wave of COVID would have hit uh, Central Europe.
0: And there is one elephant in the room we have to say before we actually start properly talking about Belgian Mole, and that is, at the end of the last Belgian Mole season, we did have a polite request from um, from Gilles da Costa to say, please stop calling me Papa Bear.
1: Do we have a new nickname
0: for him this year? Are we just going to go with Jill?
1: I think just Jill for now. I think he's earned it. He's the best host in, on reality TV on the planet. I think he deserves to just be... Just go by his name.
0: Yeah, because... Inspired by this episode, I kind of think that maybe we should change it to Jilzy Pussy, but I think that might be a step too far. <laughs> <laughs> Please never let us speak of Jilzy Pussy again.
1: I don't think I could get through a whole podcast with a straight face saying Jillsy Pussy for the, whole, for the whole hour.
0: No, I, I am literally only just saying that because I know I'm going to get an email from him as soon as this comes out on Thursday. <laughs> just going, no, not Jillsy Pussy.
1: Just find find a different uh, James Bond movie.
0: Yeah, The Man with the Golden Jill.
1: <laughs> See, that, that one I can say.
0: So, the final bit of housekeeping is, of course, we do like to look at the average age of, uh, of Belgie seasons. Initially, this season started out at 33.3, despite somebody um, doing a bit of bad maths looking at me, because I accidentally took 46 years off Philip's life. The average age is actually 33.3, at least starting this season, which is the youngest in Belgian history, at least for the reboots, but not by much. Previously, we've had 38.3 in Argentina, 33.4 in South Africa, 37.7 in Mexico, 35.1 in Vietnam, and 34.6 in Greece. However, as you well know, by the end of the episode, it drops to 31.9.
1: 12 years makes a lot of difference.
0: It really does. So, we open in September 2020, right before the second wave of corona. There are ten strangers gathered for the adventure of their lives, with a traitor in their midst. And there is lots of drone shots.
1: And a Karl Marx quote.
0: Well, we're going to get to the Karl Marx quote, because one of the hidden talents that we've actually not really touched on this podcast is the fact that I do speak a little bit of German. So despite my Flemish pronunciation being dreadful... I'll have a decent crack at least at the German pronunciations. That's a solid promise. I do know we have at least one German listener. I apologise in advance. I'm hoping not to butcher the German pronunciation as much as I butcher the Flemish. Everyone is asked whether they are the Mole, Dami, Samina, Katrine, Yasmin, sadly, Philip, Lennart, Annalotta, Sven and Jens all say no. Kevin, being Kevin, says yes. (laughs) And brought back from Greece are the opening quotes, this time in German. The first one is the Karl Marx quote: Aller Anfang ist fair, gilt in jeder Wissenschaft. Every beginning is difficult, applicable to every science. So day one begins in Liederkirche. Jens is the first one out at the BMW. He's being watched on Heat Vision on a drone. He's joined by Katrine, Philip, like in English, Yasmin, Sven, not a carnivalist. Leonard, Samina, who's definitely a Limburger, and a Lotta, Dami, and then Kevin. And they are being watched through the wheat. For now, they are keeping socially distanced. Jill turns up and says that their cars are ready to depart, but the question is whether all ten of them will leave in them. The spots this year were very sought after. They made it, but another ten just barely missed out. Those ten will get a chance to steal the spots and go into the game. If any of the 10 behind him make it to the cars later, they will steal a spot. If no spots are stolen, then they will leave Belgium with €5,000 in the pots.
1: And to say that the spots were highly sought after is an understatement, because I believe this season had the highest number of applicants ever.
0: Yeah, I think we talked about this at the end of Greece. They were, because of the pandemic, capping it at 5000 Then I think within a day they bumped it up to 10000 and... Eventually they closed it after 30,000, which is more than they've had for any other season. And then they got that 30,000 all the way down to 10 officially, but actually 20.
1: And we presume that the nine identities who weren't revealed, at least one or more are probably going to be used for next season.
0: See, I've had this debate already today. The Bothers Bar Discord has been very active this afternoon, just discussing whether any of those other nine people will actually come back. Because I'm in two minds about it. On the one hand, you think, yeah, we already know these people are probably going to be pretty good characters. We may see them come back in the same way we saw Bruno come back after not getting onto Vietnam, he then got onto Greece. But the problem is, the main trait of a mole candidate, or a mole, is that they have no relationship really with members of production. And even just a small appearance like this they will at least have some sort of a relationship with people in production unless they were super careful. And I'm assuming they were super careful about this in production.
1: Maybe they'll they'll reuse the mole for next season if the mole wasn't the attacker who got into the game.
0: Yeah, you've got to wonder whether any of these people will have the chance to come back or whether they technically count them as candidates and then they're not allowed to return.
1: Well, we, we never found out any of their identities, though.
0: I think we probably will find out their identities in the reunion if, if I had to put money on it now. I think we may see videos of them in the same way that we saw videos of the people who didn't get onto Vietnam and the people who applied for
1: other seasons and stuff. I presume one of them was Willie Summers.
0: Definitely. It was just Willie Summers
1: in a helmet. <laughs> eight, eight clones of him. And all nine attackers who didn't get through were all Willie Summers. Or maybe Willie Summers and his family members.
0: I must admit, I had forgotten about your obsession with Willy Summers, so it's nice to hear about it again. And if production really wanted to screw us over, they would translate a Willy Summers lyric into German just for uh, just for fun to try and make me say
1: it. I thought he was the one that sang about every beginning is difficult and applicable in all sciences.
0: So only one attacker can potentially join the trip and steal a spot. If they do, someone will get left behind and the team won't earn any money. And Jill gives the envelope of instructions to Samina. She is an overachiever and very competitive, and she worries in her audition that she might be talking too much. And until a producer says, no, don't worry, that's kind of the point of you doing this, she is genuinely a little bit terrified. She's just babbling.
1: Trying to lose 5,000 euros at the start of the season would make Bart proud.
0: Oh, that doesn't even scratch the surface of what Bart wanted to do. He was going for as high as possible. He didn't care how much that exemption was worth. And I do have to say, after the... um, After the candidate special last week, Bart looks like he's lost weight. He looks like the pandemic was quite good to him.
1: He didn't go to that same restaurant in Greece with uh, Dorian?
0: No, he he didn't. It was my first thought when I watched the candidate episode, and obviously if if you've not seen it, the final three of last season came back to give their opinions on the the bios of the quote-unquote final ten. Bart did look like he'd lost a bit of weight over lockdown. And I know he's a friend of the podcast, he may listen to this, so good on you, Bart, if you have. I'm proud of you
1: yeah I've been trying to lo- I've been losing weight myself throughout the pandemic and it's a it's a great it's a great productive feeling because I know a lot of people are struggling with this and aren't in the best position to try and accomplish significant uh, achievements right now
0: so they have to split their group of ten into three groups the first of three savvy shooters the second of two Balance shooters the final four strategic shooters and one drone operator and yen's is from Epa he said to his friend that he'd rather do the mole than win the lottery not the euro millions but if you won a million euros it's gone in a few years
1: it's probably a good thing he doesn't play the lottery cuz he he gets a pretty good warning here that he shouldn't play it
0: do you know what the odds of winning the jackpot on the euro millions are
1: no but i assume they're astronomically low like 1 to 10 million
0: the uk lottery is 50 balls now an and I think that works out somewhere in the region of about one in 55 million of winning the jackpot. Euro millions is about one in 155 million of
1: winning the jackpot. Does anybody win it?
0: Yeah, weirdly the UK does quite well in it, but um it's astronomically low to win the euro millions.
1: Like how often does somebody win?
0: Maybe once every 3 weeks.
1: Really? That frequently?
0: Because it's all over Europe. There are so many tickets sold.
1: So the winner gets, like, a billion euros or something ridiculous?
0: It's usually at least 100 million. So yeah, the, the odds of winning the top prize on the EuroMillions is roughly 1 in 139,838,160.
1: So you just got to be that lucky SOB that gets their life changed forever.
0: Yeah, and the average um, prize money won is a smidge under 46 million pounds. The highest ever one is 183 million.
1: 183 million British pounds? Yeah. That'd be like 350 million Canadian, I think. I wouldn't be podcasting anymore. Or only podcasting.
0: I was going to say, as if you would quit podcasting if you won that much money. You would be travelling the world, and you would be at the mercy of me getting pissed off at you when you sleep in. That's just how it works. So, Katrine, Kevin, and Sven are in line one. Dami and Philip Philippa line two. Samina, Anilotta, Lennus and Yasmin are line three, and Jens is the drone operator. And Samina acts as their communicator, basically linking all three of the teams. And Jill specifically says, no one here is guaranteed of their spots. The attackers are all chained together with a three-digit lock. They can only free themselves by going through all a thousand combinations, and they have one hour to be the first to reach the car and steal a spot. At line one, the attackers must obtain a mole book, the three here must release arrows and shoot a target above each mole book to drag it up into the air and make one less mole book to grab. Every target hit will eliminate an attacker, and the slowest people to get to that stage will be out. There are 15 arrows, and each must be earned by answering a five-answer question. This was very reminiscent of the lift game in Venom Czechia.
1: Yes. Name five things that start with a certain letter. Or a certain category.
0: So Sven is the first one. He gets asked to name five countries beginning with M. Name five countries beginning with M, Mr. Saunders. Uh,
1: Malaysia. Yep. Mali. Yep. Malawi. Madagascar. Um... (laughs) I just have the one left. Um, Come on, there's got to be one. Oh, Marshall Islands.
0: Marshall Islands will count. You actually got three of the same ones as uh, Sven did there. He... Did get all five, but he then misses with the bow and arrow. And he says he's not doing the group hug. He saw that first on Big Brother, he thinks. And the reason they put that in the episode is because he will be forced to do a group hug. And he looks incredibly uncomfortable when he does a group hug. Much, of course, to my amusement. Those on line two have to protect the car key. If any attacker gets the car key, they can then unlock the car and allow people to go inside it. The car is currently locked, and they can eliminate attackers using a sniper rifle. However, one of them has got to lie on top of a rocking platform to control the sniper rifle, while the other one puts weight on it to actually control the directions. Philip says he's never fought in his life, as he can't. He was also physically incapable of flirting.
1: Oh, we we missed out on the 52-year-old man flirting with all the other contestants.
0: Exactly, and what happens in Germany stays in Germany. Yeah. You do not want to know what went on in that castle. <laughs> Just say it. So Annalotta Lennart, and Yasmin are the final line. They have paintball guns and a buildable barrier to eliminate the attackers and make life hard for them. Yasmin says she doesn't think she's funny even when she's in a courtroom. She always thinks that she should be putting jokes into her final closing statements. Annalotta says her nickname is Lottie Pussy. It used to be super sweet, but her mum did have to sit her down when she was about 12 or 13 and tell her it wasn't appropriate in an email address. Imagine having that conversation. You're 12 or 13, you think your parents are going to sit you down for sex ed or whatever. And your mum just turns around and goes, Your email's super inappropriate.
1: You're going to get a lot of strange guys emailing you.
0: You are definitely going to be on a watch list. <laughs> And Leonard says he decided to buy an axolotl or maybe a salamander, and says he's in a Facebook group for it. And pretty much spends the rest of this episode trying to convince people that axolotls are awesome.
1: I've never heard the word axolotl uttered so many times in one episode of reality TV.
0: Jens and Samina are in the control room, Jens is the drone pilot and can spot the attackers in the field. And Samina is the communicator with the rest of the teams. She calls line one and asks Sven what he can see right now. I genuinely paused the episode at this point and went, Surely you, you can just see corn. And he says he can see corn.
1: It's a maze? Huh.
0: I wish I'd never heard that before. <laughs>
1: it's like this task is a total maze. No, stop with the jokes. One of us might go home, you son of a bitch.
0: Stop being such a comedian, Sven. <laughs> so, Katrine has to name five Belgian queens, and she does it quickly and manages to be the first to hit a target. She's a vascular surgeon, so deals with anything that can go wrong with the heart. In, I would say, the most bitchy question of the entire 15, Sven then has to name the five female candidates and gives up after three.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible.
0: Nothing good can come from putting that question in there.
1: Yeah, how he just how he's like, uh, I don't know who are the who are the five women in this cast? Let's see, there's Pamela, Rita, Tina, Monica, Sandra. It's like, oh wait, that's Mambo number five.
0: Yeah, absolutely, nothing good can come from this question because best case scenario he names all five and saves face. Worst case scenario he gives up after three of them. And it probably gets back to the two he forgot.
1: Let's see. Melby. Um
0: Sporty Posh Baby. <laughs> yeah. I'm just gonna put in the in the show notes. Logan starts naming female singers. Female bands, yeah.
1: Nicole, Carmeet, Kimberly, Ashley.
0: <laughs> so yeah, he only names three and gives up, just as the first attacker, which is number seven, frees themselves from the chain. A second, which is number 5, follows shortly after and claims a mole book with 41 minutes left. A third frees themselves and claims one, followed by a fourth, and by this point, Samina and Jens have seen nothing. Dami says that her tactic is to just shoot when the attacker's on the ladder, she wants to go 100% on every challenge, she doesn't want to fake mole and sabotage the group. And the reason this quote is very important is because apparently last week, Jill did an interview where he basically said that they deliberately cast people who say, yeah, I don't want a fake mole, there's no point fake mole and we're not Vidim. Apparently he threw a little bit of shade at Vidim in this interview, just basically going why would you cast people that want to mislead? That's not the point of the show. There should only be one liar.
1: I think Jill's a very interesting host that deviates from all the other hosts because he, there's certain boundaries he will never cross because with, say... Vidim or Survivor Amazing Race, because these are shows that have been on the air for over 20 years now. Like, Vidim has done 22 seasons now. Survivor's done 40. The American version of Amazing Race has done 32 seasons. Big Brother has had like 100, well over 100 seasons worldwide. So, all these different franchises have all these hosts and production crews that are just completely disrupting the format after 20 plus years because they want to keep things interesting for themselves or keep interesting for the audience, however which way they justify it. With Jill's, he's not going to shake certain things up with the format or really twist the game in a way that crosses some sort of boundary or violates the purity of, what, of the product he's putting out there.
0: Yeah, it's honour and integrity ultimately. And this is another topic that basically we're pretty much banned from talking about because we will just get into a rant, but Finishing on Sunday is Amazing Race Australia, quote-unquote, because it's not a real version. They have messed with that show so much this season, because they've gone from 12 to 24 legs, from 11 teams to 16 in total. They added an in intruder teams, they changed the non-elimination penalty to mean that teams can completely skip legs, they did an entirely domestic season, some of the challenges have been stupid. But the one I want to half on is the intruder question, because... In like 7 and 10, they added in an extra team just for funsies to shake things up. And this is a common thing that Australian reality TV does. What do they do in Mole in this episode? They basically add in 10 stowaway contestants. But instead of making it an egregious thing where they don't have to fight to get back in, these 10 have to fight not just the people who are already in the game, but each other to get the one spot potentially to get back. There is huge amount of honour in saying, we know we have a strong cast, we don't mind if we take all ten of them we might shake them up with an intruder here, but that intruder has to really fight for their place in the game.
1: And it happens on the very first day, not over halfway into the game, or almost halfway into the game.
0: Exactly. It says it all that in six seasons, we've only seen one episode which has actually been a proper non-elimination, and that is this one. This is the first one in six seasons where they've actually done a proper non-elimination episode and a Vidim-style non-elimination.
1: As opposed to Vidim that does about three per year now Yeah, and then has a double or triple execution to make up for it.
0: I mean, it depends on how you you count the Vietnam premiere because technically that was a non-elimination episode, although they didn't do a test. But even when they've done a non-elimination twist, like with... Potentially Ruth or potentially Hands in um, in South Africa, they then followed it up by going. There is a double elimination to um, to account for this. The price of Ruth would have been this. The price of Hands would have been this. So you absolutely have to still earn your spot if you want to do a non-elimination episode. Yeah. Whereas this one is the first Vidum-style non-elimination episode they've done in six seasons, and I'm I'm slightly intrigued as to why. <laughs>
1: I think it's because they had 30,000 people apply and they just said, well, they just feel so bad that only 10 people don't get to be in on the experience.
0: So Kevin is the next up. He has to name five Champions League winning teams. How would you have done with this question? (laughs) Zero.
1: (laughs) I wouldn't have a damn clue. I think I would have done the same as Kevin did, which is uh, maybe Manchester United.
0: (laughs) As soon as this scene came off, I'm like, I have to test Saunders with this, because there is not a chance in hell that he knows five Champions League winning teams.
1: I don't even know five Champions League teams, period.
0: I would have been just rattling off Champions League teams. I wouldn't have been confident on getting five on this one. But yeah, he he doesn't do football, and a fifth attacker frees themselves as a result, which is number one.
1: Was it Sven who later said, I can't believe how much Kevin flubbed the Champions League question. Either he's a woman, or he's the mole. It's like I'm thinking. Do you know that not everyone watches the same sport in a country? Like, yes, certain sports are popular. But for instance, say hockey is super popular in Canada. I don't watch any hockey at all, but I do have baseball knowledge from a certain era and of MMA knowledge. And then I, it's similar for you, Michael, as well, where you, you know more. You know more about hockey, even though it's not terribly common in uh, in in the UK.
0: Yeah. Mainly because I used to go to a lot of ice hockey matches. But yeah, it's in the in the five-question test scene, I think. Sven does say that he'd expect an answer like that from a woman, but he wouldn't expect it from a guy. It's just like, you're really endearing yourself to someone uh, there, Sven. You are really yeah. making yourself really warm and fuzzy to the group.
1: <laughs>
0: so talking of Sven, he has to name the five alcohols that are in a Long Island iced tea. Go on, Logan.
1: My favorite drink? I don't know if I could get all five. <laughs> uh let's see there's is there rum?
0: There is rum, I believe. Was there gin? Rum and gin were the two we got, I think.
1: Okay. Vodka's definitely in there. Uh I think champagne might be in it. Nope, no. No? That's it. Oh, maybe that's an agua de Valencia. So it's not champagne. Tequila?
0: Yep. There's one more. It's probably the most obscure of the five.
1: Oh, is it Kahlua?
0: No, triple sec.
1: Oh yeah, I wouldn't have gotten that.
0: It's um, vodka, tequila, light rum, triple sec, gin, and a splash of cola, which gives the drink the same amber hue as iced tea.
1: They go down too smooth.
0: I'll take your word for it. (laughs) So Sven does bail after naming two of them. Six attackers now have books. The next two to free themselves are Somebody and Number 9. They are waiting under the platform at stage 2. One of them gets up, and there are smoke bombs to help cover themselves, but only ten of them. All the attackers climb, number five reaches the top, and just has to free the key. He gets very close every time he jumps for it, but ends up getting himself shot with 19 minutes left, and eliminates himself. Kevin gets a question right and manages to eliminate another book. He has a stutter, you have to introduce yourself a lot in his real life, so he struggles with his name and other K-words. Katrine has German cities with over 500,000 people. She absolutely wrestles through it, as I think we both would on a geography question, and she hits the final hanging mole book and eliminates number two just before she grabs it. The other two who are still chained are also eliminated as a result of the lack of mole books. The attackers release another smoke bomb and number eight climbs and grabs a car key. The car gets unlocked with 14 minutes left. Only the first attacker to get to the car will
1: go on the trip. Was it just me, or did, like, Dami and Philip had the most awkward position out of all three lines?
0: (laughs) They did, but I think actually theirs is maybe the most important. Yeah. I was saying this on the Bothers Bar Discord. You can basically divide this challenge into three stages. The first stage is more about minimizing the chance of anyone getting through. The second stage is more about frustrating the attackers than anything, because if they're on top of that tower, constantly grabbing for a swinging car key, and having to avoid the the sniper fire, you can waste so much of their time there. But as soon as they get that car key, you are absolutely screwed if there's more than maybe three or four of them. The last stage is more about just minimising your losses. If you can shoot everyone in line three, then you do. But if there's too many people in line three, you're absolutely screwed. Ideally, your damage has to be done by frustrating them in stage two. Eliminate them in stage 1, frustrate them in stage 2, stage 3 you're pretty much screwed by that point if you've got more than about 2 or 3 people. Because then it's safety in numbers. As soon as they have enough people to frustrate you back on stage 3, you're absolutely screwed. So, line 3 only have 40 bullets between them, and have to eliminate all 6 remaining intruders if they want to stop them. And Philip and Dammy keep asking for status updates to distract them.
1: Come on, don't ask them, you'll just bother them. Nah, I'll ask them. Don't 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 ask them again. They're just gonna get distracted. Ah, let's ask them again.
0: You could just imagine Philip holding the button down and going, I know a song that'll get on your nerves.
1: <laughs> hey guys, have you shot him yet? Have you shot him? Have you gotten rid of the attackers? Are they gone? Are they gone? Are they gone?
0: 99 bottles of beer on the wall. 99 bottles of beer.
1: You shoot one down, now there's ninety-eight. Ninety-eight attackers going up the cage. <laughs>
0: So, more smoke bombs get released, and the attackers break ranks. None of them are hit before the ditch. With only six minutes left, they are all pretty much crouching in a muddy field in Belgium. Samina tells Lennart to try and shoot their helmets as they pop up over the ridge, whereas everyone else just tells him to wait until they climb. Dami keeps wanting to ask questions, but Philip shoots her down. The attackers make their final ascent. One gets shot, then another, and another... Three remain, then two remain, and only Leonard has bullets left. Number six manages to make it to safety.
1: You know what would have been great when they did that reveal? Because they were all, you know, how they had the helmets on, so they had no idea who was underneath. But they're all like, who is this? Who is this? And then as the as the person is taking off their helmet, we just get the loud voice saying, It's John Cena!
0: It would be really interesting if the Ten Intruders were people from the five previous seasons. I know it wouldn't happen, but imagine if we had some of the biggest characters of the previous five seasons, two from each season.
1: And one of them get through? Yeah. To the Jed day for from a Masonry's Canada, they get to come through to join the rest of the newbies?
0: No, in our look, it would be one of the Voldemort Silliers. But yeah, imagine if uh, Number 6 took his helmet off and it was Bart coming back for more fun.
1: Or it was, uh, oh, who's the guy that had to dress up as the uh, 100-year-old sprinter? Salim. Yeah, and he still had to wear that same old man makeup on. It's
0: Salim's evil twin brother Malice coming back for more. (laughs) Malice.
1: (laughs) That would have been so great. Instead we get a teenager.
0: Yeah, instead we get the youngest person ever cast on a mole season.
1: Yeah, when he took off his helmet, I'm thinking, that, he looks really young, and then sure enough, it turns out he's 18.
0: He was born in 2002.
1: He He was born after the GameCube came out?
0: He makes me feel so old. I've got to the point in reality TV coverage now where I am just seeing people get cast and going, God, they're so young.
1: I know we say it every season, more and more contestants are younger than we are. And then this guy, this guy is almost 12 years younger than me. So he was born like 20 years after, uh, or 15 years after uh, Philip and his wife met.
0: Yeah. And the thing is, Noah is so baby faced that he looks young, even if you didn't know he was 18. He looks super young.
1: I'm thinking, is there an age limit? What, did they just hire ten kids to attack (laughs) him? Is that why they were tough to shoot? They were smaller targets? Because then at least the people with the paintball gun had an excuse.
0: So the ten who didn't keep him away from the car must now do a test. Five questions on the identity and actions of the mole. Whoever does worst, or in the slowest time, will be left behind.
1: And this is the one spoiler I accidentally came across before I watched the episode.
0: And that's the thing. I somehow managed to avoid it mainly because I was staying off Twitter and Insta yesterday. I was hiding literally everything so that I wouldn't get spoiled on what happened in the premiere because I did for Greece. I knew that contestant Jill went home in, in the Greece premiere and I was really annoyed. But that was a time zone issue.
1: Yeah, and see, this was through uh, Facebook. Where they, showed, uh, where they showed Jens's red screen. It's like, oh, well, perfect.
0: Mm, <laughs> let's get to that in a minute. So Dami says it's very difficult because you know absolutely nothing. Jens gets stressed at work sometimes, but it's pointless to be stressed. Everything works out in the end. Leonard says that it's interesting that six candidates managed to get to the ditch. They had passed two of the three lines already. Lotta says Samina is a leader, but sometimes she lacks information. Yasmin says that Sven stands out, says he didn't make a single shot on the bow and arrow. Kevin says you don't even know everyone's name, how can you know who the mole is? He's taking the test quickly, assuming that more than one person will get absolutely zero. Katrine says it's weird to guess a mole, because they're all really nice people. Sven says that Kevin barely knows football, maybe he's from another planet. If it was a woman who said that to him, it would be more believable. Samina says that the first line was suspicious, as something was just not right there and Philip doesn't want to follow his gut feeling, despite doing that a lot of the time in real life. And I do have to say, although I suspect that it might end up being a um, clue in the end, I love the thumbnail transitions that they're doing for the test now. Did you notice these?
1: Oh, where they fade fade into another contestant's confessional using the mall print?
0: Yeah, I suspect it is going to end up being a clue, but I really like it as a creative choice
1: they will do a varied spiral for one of them?
0: Yeah, because we did have it in the test at the end of this episode as well. It wasn't just a first test thing, which makes my, my antennae prick up a little bit. So, Jill has nine molebooks turned out, as Noah has already claimed one. He will call them up like he's on The Bachelor, they will claim a molebook or a rose, and then get in one of the two cars.
1: Do you accept this molebook?
0: Samina, Kevin, Katrine, Demi, Sven, Leonard, Philip, Anna, Lotta, and Yasmin each claim one, leaving Jens behind. And this entire scene is scored to a very good version of Love Will Tear Us Apart. My favourite moment of this entire scene, though, is Sven getting into the car, Leonard going to hug him, and him just getting an absolute death glare, and then going, sorry, I forgot you don't like hugs. Two things on this. One is the fact that it's really ironic that Jens was the one who went, oh, doing the mole would be better than winning the lottery, and then he's the first person left behind. But two more importantly is, if we are to believe that Belgian lore is consistent, you cannot get eliminated on Belgian Mole unless you've seen a red screen. He didn't see a red screen.
1: Yeah, he could be. he could be coming back next episode. There could be a twist.
0: As much as I don't think he's coming back...
1: If we believe
0: Belgi law, then he cannot be eliminated without seeing a red screen. Even though he did worst on the zest.
1: It should be noted that the one quote I picked out, because knowing he was going home ahead of time, if you do the mole, you get to talk about it for thirty years. <laughs> Thinking, yeah, you get to talk about this one challenge you got to do, Jens, for thirty years. As opposed to winning the Euro Millions one, <laughs> winning hundreds of millions of Euros. I think you could talk about that for 30 years. And Oh, and the other thing about Jen's quote is he said, yeah, you get to talk about it for 30 years and you, and you know you never get to play again. Which, I mean, that's probably going to happen with Belgian Mole. Well, I don't think they're going to be the type of franchise that brings back players from past seasons.
0: They don't need to with 30,000 applications a year.
1: No, it's such it's so sought, it's too sought after. That's the thing that bugs me about, well, I don't, I mean, I don't watch all-star seasons of reality shows anymore, but uh, that's always the big bummer, is that you have all these people who just want to play once, and then you're rehashing the same cast members to play two, three, four times, and now, anytime somebody gets eliminated in Survivor, in Amazing Race, or Big Brother, the second they go home, there's all these people online that say, oh, I, I hope they get to come back for a second chance season or for a returnee season. It's like, come on, just be, just let let it be that they played once and that's it, they got the experience, now let, let's get a new group in there. I mean, with Vidim, they at least they waited 21 games before they picked just 10 people.
0: <laughs> I think you can certainly make an argument that Jens technically saw a red screen because he did worse on the test. But I think it's very interesting, especially as we've gone back to... Argentina and South Africa. That when Jill talks to um, talks to Hans in in episode two, when he says you're being brought back, he specifically says you cannot go home on the mole unless you've seen a red screen.
1: Yeah, it'd be interesting if they violate their own rule or not.
0: Yeah, it goes back to our point about um, about sort of the the integrity that production, especially have, and obviously spearheaded by uh, by Jill. But the integrity that they have is they do have. This sort of mythical law book and it's it's very interesting to see them kind of messing with it a little bit in this episode potentially.
1: Be funny though if what we didn't see um, on camera though is the producer behind pulling down a physical red screen for Jens to look at like sure it wasn't on a computer but maybe there was a pull down one in the shed it's like see, you saw that red screen we had some intern just pull it down.
0: Yeah, I think if we don't see him back next week he is gone for good
1: oh yeah, they're not going to bring him in episode 3 or 4. That'd be ridiculous. <laughs> that's that's for Vidim to do.
0: So there is a piano version of Life on Mars that plays as they realise that they're taking a road trip to Germany. And they're going to Santgor, a city by the Rhine in western Germany. However, the best bit of their entire drive is the fact that Noah does have to ring his mum and tell her that he's not going home tonight.
1: You missed dinner, Noah!
0: <laughs> I just love the idea that they've got someone so young that he has to say to his mum beforehand, I'm just going out for the day, don't worry. And then he has to ring her and go, yeah, I might not be back for three weeks.
1: I'm going to mole camp. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know what killed, absolutely killed me when he was, right when uh, they were about to take the quiz, just the five, the five question quiz. Uh Jill uh, turns to Noah and says, "Okay, Noah, you 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 survived as one of the as the attacker to come into the game. Go wait in the car." Thinking, it's <laughs> <he> just <laughs> it's like as if as if he doesn't feel like the biggest kid amongst the entire cast. He's told, ah, "Go wait in the car until we come back in from the shop."
0: <laughs> go wait in the car, Papa's got to deal with some stuff.
1: Did you bring your DS with you? <laughs>
0: I mean, it's a very 2020-2021 thing to think. He's 18 years old and he's a student. Even if he went to uni, he's probably still living at home and probably doing his courses online because of the pandemic. He almost certainly has never left home and has never really spent a night away from home, maybe on school trips or whatever. This will be probably the longest he has spent away from his family.
1: And he gets treated like probably like a 12-year-old instead of an 18-year-old. Yeah. (laughs) Go wait in the car, Noah. Ah, oh, how are you going to be? I want to go to Germany. I want to go to that castle.
0: So, they do end up getting to Santagor quite late. And Sven and Lennart discuss the pronunciation of the German word fru. Do you know what fru is? The name of the beer?
1: Oh yeah, they did argue over that.
0: Do you know what fru with an umlaut is? In German?
1: Nope.
0: It is early. And Philip and Katrine and Noah and Kevin also share rooms. They wake up on day two. It is all very pretty. Samina and Sven are in charge of fristück, or breakfast, while Philip and Dami go to the bakery. And we find out how good German Philip actually speaks. According to an actual German, thanks to Holger Matt for pointing this out, according to an actual German, he sounds pretty much like a native German speaker. He has no accent.
1: Yeah, people in Central Europe are much better at languages than we are. It's like uh, Van Boel from from the first season with how he speaks English with the with the New York accent.
0: I do also have to point out that when Van Boel was interviewing Jill last week to say um, say here are the ten candidates, Jill specifically said that you won't be able to notice the effect of the pandemic on the season, with the exception of me having to social distance from them and. They will wear masks on screen if they have to go to the bakery or something. And the cheeky little shit snuck that past us. And indeed, Damien and Philip go to the bakery in this episode.
1: <laughs> I wonder if it's because Jill said that in the interview. And he's like, "Wait a second. We should a- we should show footage of them going into a bakery with masks on."
0: I remember writing writing like quick notes on what he'd actually said last week, and that stood out to me. And I'm like, "That's such a weird thing to say." And then when Philip and Dami go into the bakery, I'm like, you sneaky little bastard. How do you constantly do this to me? I said this on the Discord earlier, like, I'm getting increasingly irritated by how good he is at sneaking stuff past
1: us. He's a master of his craft.
0: He is, and it's so utterly frustrating because we can't catch him out. (laughs) But it's brilliant. That's the thing, as I've said before on previous episodes of this sort of stuff we've done, I love being wrong on mole seasons because it's so fun. To be shocked at the finale. But it's so utterly frustrating when Gilles is so good at doing it to us. Because he is. So, we learn that Philip isn't eating at breakfast as he does intermittent fasting. Noah is trying to keep a low profile. And we actually find out that he is an 18-year-old orthopedic student. I'm assuming it would have been orthopediology. But I don't particularly want to have to say orthopediology for the rest of the season. So I'm just going to say orthopedic.
1: Yeah, surprisingly, the 18-year-old isn't the one who likes dinosaurs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so everyone does speculate at breakfast whether Noah can be the mole if the mole was already in the group of 10, and believe us, Gilles has a wonderful explanation for that coming fairly soon. Jill meets them and says that they will be crossing the country over the next few weeks in a big bubble, and what better way to celebrate being in a bubble than a challenge involving Sven's worst nightmare, hugging strangers. They have to hug in pairs and tell each other as much information as possible on three topics that are written behind them. They are attached to ropes that are slowly winding them apart. Their time will end when they stop embracing, at which point Jill will ask them a question each on each other's topics to earn money for the pot. For €500 Euros per correct answer, and a maximum of 5000 Dammy and Samina are first up. Dammy's topics are the sea, her dream job, and hair. Samina's are animals, Spain, and dancing. Samina has a Maltese dog called Taki. Dammy would live by the sea, and she says she changes her hair every eight weeks. And if she could be a sea creature, she would be a mermaid.
1: Yeah, she'd be like. uh... With how often she changes her hair, it's almost as frequent as, as Tonks from Harry Potter. I wish it was Samina with what were, what were her three topics again?
0: Uh, they were animals, Spain, and dancing.
1: Be funny if one, if the story was that she saw a, an animal dancing in Spain.
0: Well, well, she's a um, flamenco teacher.
1: Oh, maybe it's not flamenco. Maybe it's a flamingo teacher. She teaches flamingos how to dance.
0: Maybe that would be a very interesting skill.
1: I mean, they do have the legs for it.
0: But yeah, she has by far the best job of the season because she's a flamenco teacher. That's awesome. I mean, it's not voyant from um, from La Tove, but it's up there on list of fun mole jobs that you'd never be able to predict. So at the same time, another pair, Analotta and Yasmin, are in the cuckoo clock shop in the town. Hidden behind the doors of two of the clocks are the topics that we'll get asked about, and they spot that Samina's topic is animals and Dami's is the sea, and this lets the team on the winches focus the questioning. Samina earns the first 500 euros by knowing that Dammy would be a mermaid, Dami doesn't earn hers because Samina didn't tell her how the breeder checked that Taki was deaf. Apparently, it was with a chainsaw.
1: If you don't hear a chainsaw, I guess that would be a pretty big clue.
0: <laughs> yeah. And they are then sent to the clock shop themselves.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just... I can't get over like a veterinarian just having a chainsaw on a desk drawer in their office. How do you even fit that in there? Just say, okay! <sighs>
0: Yeah, I mean, if you're a dog reader, how do you test if a dog is deaf? Do you pop a balloon near them? Do you call to them repeatedly? Or do you just go to the shed and get the chainsaw?
1: Well, there's multiple uses. Oh no, your dog broke its arm. Well, there's one way to fix it. We can test if it's deaf and we can make it an amputee at the same time. Well, how else am I going to cut this sandwich in half?
0: So, Kevin and Katrine are the next two on the winches. Kevin's themes are best friend dancing and sports. Katrine's are opera, the operating room, and her partner. Her favourite opera is Rusalka by Dvorak. After three minutes, they still have no topics from Damien and Samina. Kevin got a dinosaur tattoo with his best friend Kuhn. It is a Parasaurolophus, or as they call it in Animal Crossing, a parasol. Samina and Dami just miss Kevin's topic being about his best friend, but they do spot the operating room for Katrine. So the next two up are Philip and Noah. Noah's topics are job, the paranormal, and his best traits. And he says hugging for his best traits. Everyone who's hugged him says that he's a good hugger. Philip's are diet, first love, and animals. And they rely on Katrine and Kevin, who miss job for Noah. Philip and Noah then move to the shop and are instructing Sven and Lennart. Lennart's topics are animals, flexi job, and volunteer work. Sven's are his embarrassing moments, job, and carnival. Lennart, as we know repeatedly from this episode, has an axolotl, famous for being the basis of the Mudkip and Weeper families. Sven has a coffee and crock bar. He doesn't want to talk about his embarrassing moments in front of the group. They are waiting for Philip and Noah, who miss both topics. The final pair up there are Yasmin and Adelotta, both of them have embarrassing moments, Anna Lossa also has nicknames and animals, and Yasmin has sleepless nights and on-the-go. Anna also says she's not good at riding horses and had her bra hanging out when dismounting one. The horses that she has are named Runette, Cass and Verona. They rely on Sven and Leonard. Sven is 100% not looking at clocks, and just pissing himself at the concept of being in a shop full of cookie clocks going off. But they do find animals at the last second. Kevin is asked what Katrine finds most pleasant during an operation, he says listening to classical music, and it's actually stitching a bridge. Katrine is asked what dinosaur is on Kevin's arm, and she gets it wrong. Leonard is asked what's in a croc Vesper, he also gets that wrong. Sven's asked the name of the shop which Leonard scoops ice cream in, he is told that, but also gets it wrong. He then talks about Three Balls for some reason, which I think could be a completely different show, or a movie in Logan's collection. Philip is asked what the name of the restaurant where Noah served ribs is. He gets it wrong. Noah's asked the bus number that Philip met his wife on, It was 82, and he's correct. Analos has asked what name Yasmin gave her two-year-old son. She gets that wrong. And then Yasmin's asked the name of Anna Lott's three horses. She's correct, meaning they earn €1,500, a possible 5000 for the challenge. And Jill, much to Sven's disgust, says that their victory and earning some money calls for a group hug and they settle on one, where Sven doesn't have to touch anyone.
1: <laughs>
0: Fun fact, that is also our banner for this week.
1: Man, these 80-minute premieres always take a while to podcast about.
0: I know, I said this on the uh, on the Discord earlier, like, I know this is gonna be a long podcast, so I'm just gonna rattle through as much as I can so we can start doing the debate and stuff. So they wake up on day three. Kevin isn't used to cars having such good breaks, and constantly slams on them. Know your pain.
1: They are driving to out. <laughs> I can't take that town name seriously. <laughs> going to the town name of Elf. It's very futuristic. It's the
0: first chance to comment on their musical choices, and Philip chose a James Blunt song that Sven met his associate to, otherwise known as his girlfriend. Obviously, Katrine chose some opera. And they meet Jill at Berg Arras, a castle in the middle of a forest on a hill. That is where they're staying overnight. However, it is also the backdrop for the elimination. And they'll have some time to exchange information, and also have a quick snoop around. The only interesting bit of this scene, I would say, is the fact that both Kevin and Samina came into this show with the tactic of writing in a foreign language in their mole books. Samina's is understandable because I think she's half Spanish, so she's writing in Spanish. However, Kevin shows off a hidden talent and says he learned Arabic at an evening school for a few years. That is really interesting.
1: Yeah, following that was one of the name five things. Name name five Arabic words.
0: Yeah, it's genuinely impressive that he's learned Arabic, and I have it on good authority that the close up we saw of his uh, of his mole book with Arabic in at least was notes on uh, on the actions of other people. It wasn't a blatant mole hint or anything. So it is now time for the test. Twenty questions on the identity and actions of the mole. Whoever knows least is out of the game, except for the mole who can never go home. Sven says Yasmin is curious, she's filled her mole book already and will have an entire library by the end of the season. Yasmin is on Kevin. When Katrine asked about his best friend, he tried to steer her into talking about his friend rather than the tattoo on his arm. Dammy says that Katrine had a question about the operating room and didn't realise it was relevant. Kevin says Sven is a great mystery, he played up his carelessness and laughs it off. Leonard points out that Sven was cackling in the clock shop. Anna Lotta thinks that Philip would be a good mole, as he's good at distracting people. Sometimes, she thinks he's bullshitting. In principle, Noah can't be the mole, and everyone struggles with that concept. And everyone says that they want to stay.
1: Then we get the iconic Dracula theme. do
0: <laughs> Jill says for the first time in mole reboot history, it's possible that no one will go home tonight. Their ten names are hidden all over the castle, each name found isn't typed into the computer. If they find the name of the person with the red screen, they will save that person and everyone else. Each name that they find out of the ten is worth 300 euros for a possible 3000. Noah, Leonard, Yasmin, and Philip are sent to the first room. They have three minutes to find four names in the Knights Hall. All the locations are related to the candidates they're looking for. They find Kevin's name on the dinosaur, Dammy's on the globe, Samina's so is hidden on the Spanish helmet and Katrine's in the operation game. Neither of those two is found. Sven and Alastair and Katrina next. They head to the tower. They are looking for Yasmin, Lennart, and Philip's names. Yasmin's is hidden on a pot of jasmine. Subtle. Philip has an advert in a newspaper. And Lennart's is found at the last second on a weird version of The Last Supper where all the apostles are holding ice cream. <laughs> Kevin, Dami, and Samina are sent to the church. It is creepy as all hell. Noah, Sven, and Anna Lottis are hidden here. Anna Lotta's is on a horseshoe. Kevin searches the hay. All ten attackers' names are hidden on the coins. Dami finds Noah's. And if I paused at the right moment, I think one of the other attackers was named Karen.
1: Poor Karen.
0: I know. She's had such a rough year the past 12 months, hasn't she?
1: Yeah. Especially on social media.
0: I mean... If I was right that it was a Karen, I'd fully expect Jill to be getting an email soon asking to speak to his manager. Sven's name is written on a crock that is hidden by the skeleton in the uh, in the church. Samina gets close but doesn't see it. They only find Noah's name, meaning that they earn twelve hundred euros of 3000 for the challenge and 2700 of 13000 for the episode and season so far. If one of Noah, Dammy, Kevin and Leonard's was meant to go home, then all ten of them are through. Annalotta, Sven, Katrine, Philip, Yasmin, and Samina all get green screens, meaning that they are all safe. However, a video comes on the screen saying that three weeks before departure, the mole visited the cornfield to meet Jill. The mole must also fight for their place. If the mole for the attackers gets to the car, the existing group's mole will be left behind automatically. And they get a chance to meet. And that is where the episode
1: ends. So then they realise, oh, Yeah, it's very, very, very possible for Noah to be the mole.
0: Yeah. And I'm saving this question for now. I was going to do it after the first challenge. How would you play that first challenge as a
1: mole? I think I'd want to be in the second or third group. Maybe the second, because maybe using a sniper rifle is easier than other people would think, and you're not really accounted for as much. You have one person with you, but they're too focused on holding you steady. And then if you miss a shot or something, you could be like, well, you didn't hold me steady enough. What are you doing? And you could just keep missing by inches each time or maybe just get one or maybe two attackers that go up there with the smoke bombs. Because that was a far distance. It's not like that was a close shot at all for Dammy to make.
0: I think it depends on a few factors because if the mole of the existing group, we're just going to call him the mole for now, assuming that Noah's not it. If the mole knows what number the stowaway mole is going to be then that mole needs to be in stage 2 or 3 they cannot 100% be in stage 1 because stage 1 is the only one where you don't have control over who qualifies as soon as you get to stage 2 you can literally target any of the numbers if you really want and if you can work out who they are obviously that's much easier in stage 3 but it is possible in stage 2 to target people so the real question is whether the mole knows what number their replacement would be. The mole's ideal tactic, I think, and potentially production's ideal tactic, would be someone gets through, but it is not the replacement mole. Because I have questions about whether the replacement mole was briefed on every challenge like the real mole would be as well. Because if they were, it's kind of a waste of time for production, potentially, to brief two people.
1: I assume they'd only brief that other mole after they got into the game.
0: Yeah. But then the question is, does that go against another one of Jill's rules going we don't brief on location anymore because it was too stressful?
1: Maybe just for that that twist he would.
0: Yeah. There's a few real questions to that. But it's a tough choice, I think. Because as a mole, you have to obviously balance getting the money into the pot and also potentially jeopardising yourself. Because up to this point in the episode, we didn't know that the mole themselves were technically vulnerable. Obviously, Jill did say at the start that nobody is safe. Absolutely nobody in this group is safe. But we didn't really understand what that meant until this clip comes on at the end of the episode.
1: That would be a such an awkward position to be in as the mole, though it's like, yeah, you're supposed to take money out of the pot, but then you might go home after the first task.
0: <laughs> yeah. If the mole was given the choice of the replacement mole being the one person left and letting them get to the car to stop the money going in, but then, obviously, they replace you. Or, letting that person be shot. What do you think the mole would have done?
1: I guess let that, yeah, I guess just play it as a player, and try to be as fair as possible in that situation, I guess. Yeah. It's tough, it depends on who the mole, on what type of person the mole is.
0: Yeah, because, pretty much, if you are the mole selected for this season, and you get replaced, you are never going to get the chance to come back. Ever. (laughs) Ever. You are going to be the only one challenge mole ever in history.
1: Yeah, probably if you were the mole, you'd maybe decide, eh, no, I want to play this as a player. Unless they were able to pick a mole who they knew would be fine with going home after one task. Yeah. I don't think they'd want to pick a mole who would be kicking and screaming on their way out after being switched.
0: You would be so pissed if you were selected as the mole and then it got snatched off you after one challenge.
1: Yeah, just think of, think of say, the Mexico season. I think if you had someone like Peter, I don't think he would have been too upset if he got switched after one task. No. So I think it's going to be somebody who is really okay with, oh yeah, that was a neat experience, but I'm fine if I don't get to do the whole thing, or almost any of it.
0: You'd basically be the mole who never was.
1: You'd be a trivia question.
0: Yeah. So, next time, there is a precarious trek for people with wine glasses. A musical performance and a trip through tunnels, a neon dinghy challenge, and a garage door closes. So who do you suspect, Mr Saunders?
1: Well, I guess one would be Demi, because she was the one on the rifle, and probably should have shot more people in that tower, since there were six people, and she could shoot around a fairly small area. Especially when she got the first one. Uh, Let's see, Kevin did not perform too well this episode. (laughs) I don't think he earned... I think he earned the least amount of money for the pod out of everybody.
0: He earned nothing, actually.
1: Yeah, other than being in the one group that found one person's name.
0: Well, yeah, but he personally didn't. It was Dami who found it in that challenge.
1: Oh, okay. So yeah, he earned nothing, so of course you got to look at that. <laughs> and then I don't think Samina did the best job of coordinate, coordinating during the attacker challenge between the different groups. I think there could have been a better communicator. The fact that six attackers made to the ditch out of a possible ten is uh,
0: is a bit alarming. And more importantly, six out of eight who got out of the chains, and six out of seven who got a mole book.
1: Yeah, that's, that would suck for the people who were just in chains for one hour.
0: Yeah, two of them were left in chains, and then there was number two who was left at the uh, at mole book station after the mole book got snatched out of her.
1: Right, they wouldn't actually be sitting there for an hour. It's just as soon as there were no mole books and they would be done.
0: Yeah. Then five got shot on the tower, and then everyone, apart from number six, got eliminated on the um, on the final stage.
1: Man, I'm, that'd be an interesting strategy discussion amongst the attackers. Because somebody had to be the one that go up the tower first and didn't really figure out the strategy and just went on their own and completely messed up. It wasn't until the next attacker that said, okay, we're all going to do this as a group, but somebody still had to risk it and go for the key. So it's very interesting to know who try what they, because they don't really say what Noah's role was in that whole challenge.
0: No, we actually, I've sort of skipped through that challenge to try and work out what numbers had got through on what stage and stuff. You never see Noah at all, not specifically him, because he was number six and you never see number six until he gets in the car.
1: Yeah, he just barely got in eh, with being number six in that group.
0: Well, they all had numbers on the backs. So the the numbers aren't necessarily representative of
1: all of the orders that they got out of the chain. You oh, mean? I see. Because so I was thinking, man, that would be really lucky.
0: <laughs> no, they're, they're numbered from one to ten anyway. But yeah, number number two was the one who got um, who didn't get a mole book. Number five was the one who was shot in the tower. Number seven got the car key, and then number six was Noah. And we
1: don't know any of the other numbers. I don't think. Bummer for the person who got the who braved it, got the car key, and doesn't even get rewarded with the spot into the group. Because that was the riskiest position to be in by far.
0: So, yeah, my top three, I have a feeling that it's a male mole this time, because we've had two females in a row. And I know that's a foolish thing to start off saying, because, you know, Gilles does listen to this podcast, and he does love spiting us, whether deliberately or not deliberately. I think it's probably a guy this time. Even though it breaks one of the rules that I said, my top suspect at the moment is Kevin, just because I got a weird vibe off him. I don't know whether it's because he's obviously consciously having to think about his his speech patterns because he he has that stutter. I don't know. I just got a weird vibe off him. And I am terrible at picking Belgian moles. We've proven this over the past four live seasons and then the two historical ones as well when I went into how wrong I was. I'm terrible at predicting things on Belgium. I don't know why. I just have a real blind spot for, uh, for Papa Bear's machinations. Kevin is kind of where I would put my money right now. I've not done my first suspicions list, so this isn't necessarily emblematic of, of what the pool's going to be. But I've kind of gone with Kevin first, then Leonard because he's obsessed with axolotls, and the whole him drumming into it that you can cut off one of the limbs and it'll regrow might come back as a clue, potentially. And then Philip I got a weird vibe from as well. Philip's kind of somewhere somewhere suspicious at the moment. And then then I've got Annalotta and Yasmin, mainly because I can't tell them apart. Uh, then Samina, Katrine, Dami, Sven, and then Noah and Jens, obviously.
1: I had to do the same thing, right? I write down notes for how to tell Annalotta and Yasmin apart. They were the
0: only <laughs> two I got confused with in one of the um, bits here. I was so good on names. I'm usually pretty good on names in, in Premiers, anyway. I was so good on the names, and then I messed up Anelotta and Yasmin, and I was so, so annoyed. But I can tell them apart now.
1: Yeah, by the end, once they were together, I'm like, okay, Yasmin is shorter and has lighter hair, is taller and has slightly darker hair.
0: Who do you think's going home next week?
1: Uh, Philip. Philip did not seem confident of that execution. <laughs> Even though he got a green screen, I still feel like there's a lot of variables that go on in between two executions. Yeah. It's either that or it's going to be Bertrand. It's always Bertrand.
0: I got a weird early boot vibe from Katrine, as much as I don't want to say that, because she reminds me of one of the tutors at work, and I love that tutor at work. She's brilliant. But she looks so much like her, it's really distracting. But I just feel like she's probably going to be an early boot and just go, eh, I played the game, whatever. Whatever. I don't get the kind of competitive fire from her.
1: But she didn't get a green screen.
0: She did. But the only four people who didn't get a green screen were Noah, Dammy, Kevin, and Leonard. And I think I think Kevin's a potential suspect. I think Noah's going home early. Let's be real.
1: Maybe he might be... I mean, he could be gone first, because we also had a really young mole last season. Because Alina was 20... Yeah, she was 20...
0: She was not just twenty, she was the youngest mole in worldwide mole history, I believe.
1: And she was damn good at it. She was. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's tough to think that eighteen year old attacker Noah is the backup mole.
0: Nah. Because that would then mean that Jens was the mole as well, and I got more Yori vibes than uh, than Elizabeth ones from from Jens, put it that way. So Seen as though I did mention it, our pool and First Suspicions lists will be back next week. First Suspicions is now live. You can submit your guesses at the links on our social media. The form will stay open until Episode 2 airs next Sunday. I will be keeping an eye on it every week and giving updates. Our pool will also return. We're going to do the same thing we did for Vidim and announce our teams during the Week 2 recaps, but we will also announce them on social media this week, in case you're a little impatient. As ten people are left at the end of this episode, we will each draft five people, with me as winner last year drafting first, and whoever has them all at the end of the season will be the winner. Have you got anything else you want to say, Mr. Saunders?
1: After an hour and six minutes? (laughs) No. I don't I mean there 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 could be more. We could stretch it out, but for the sake of the listeners, I'm gonna I'll save whatever else for episode two. A flavoring two, pardon me.
0: I will be honest, we actually did that a lot quicker than I was expected because I was really expecting us to go very deep on the tactics of the mole in that first challenge. <laughs> Maybe we just do a special episode where we just go through that challenge. <laughs> yeah. So, thank you for listening to our Dumol Velsie recap. We will be back next week to continue the hunt for a brand new mole in Germany. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram where we are, rtvwarriors, or you can email us and contact us at rtvwarriors.com. Logan's on Twitter at Alexis and I'm MJ Harmstone. Thank you as always to Natalia for the subtitles. We'll see you next week.
1: Peace out and just chill until the second flavoring.